Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You're listening to Bill Arnold's Encore presentation, Faith, Hope, and Clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I am the Bill Arnold part of that sentence. I'm awfully glad you joined me today. And we uh, are going to have a really an interesting hour. And I'm quite excited because I, I always love when I have my guests in studio. And, and Paul and Wendy Johnson are in studio. And I'm just going to ask this question. You know, in, in Ephesians 4, chapter Verse 32, it says, Instead, be kind and tender-hearted to one another and forgive one another as God has forgiven you through Christ. Could you be kind and tender-hearted and forgive someone who murdered your child? And how much does God require of us? And is that being reasonable? Okay, you put a dent in my car, I can forgive you, but you murder my son? Hmm. That's going to be the topic of the discussion uh, today with Paul and Wendy because they have lived that and they are living it. So that's what's ahead uh, on the show today. And uh, I think I'm going to skip the break. I'm going to go right into Paul and Wendy. I've got uh, um, them in my studio. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. It's yes. good to be here. Thank you. Yes, good now, to be here. Yeah, I'm, I want to tell our listeners exactly uh, where you are uh, living and working. You live here in. Uh, Twin Cities? That is correct. I'm a pastor at Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, one of the many wood churches mm-hmm. in the area. Ours is Ridgewood. Yeah. Um, people end up at the other woods sometimes. <laughs> um, we've. Uh, I grew up here. Um, uh, we were away for a while. Wendy grew up in Spokane, Washington. We've been back for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's where we make our home, out in the western metro. And Wendy, you traveled across the globe with the Continental Singers? I did. Yeah, tell us about that. I did. It was quite an experience. Um, traveled three different times with them and um, just gave me a great opportunity to be missional. That was my heart. And so toured with them and got to sing, which is my passion. Worship yeah. is my passion. And so I'm the worship leader at, at our church and um, just enjoy leading people before the throne. She yeah. has a great boss. <laughs> he's, I hear he's really a good guy. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. And then kids? How many kids? We have six kids, uh, one of which resides in heaven, which we'll talk about today. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, ranging from 32 to twins that are 12. Wow. That's busy. Yeah. Very busy. Yeah. Very busy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that we wanted to talk in particular about that particular uh, son mm-hmm. that lives in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um and the journey that you have been on, I, I would love our listeners to, to hear it because this is such a hard story to put your arms around. Mm-hmm. I think Wendy's part of the story even began before anything happened. And we could see the thread of God working through this. And um, when she shares how God prepared her, it, it begins to kind of unveil how the Holy Spirit began to help us to deal with this. So we were living in Canada, uh, British Columbia at the time, and 
Um, I was the children's director at our church at that point, and my assistant and I had gone to um, a, a children's pastors convention in the States. And while we were there, God just laid this massive burden on me. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. Uh, the weight in my chest was massive. And um, my friend Carmen was, was like, what's, what's going on? And I just said, I feel like something, I don't know, God's burdening me for my family. And so we prayed together, but it just wouldn't lift. And um, so we ended up going to um, a dinner that night where the speaker was going to talk. And um, I called in and checked on Paul and the kids. I said, is everything okay? Like, I'm just really burdened right now. And uh, he said, we're fine here. Have fun. Just enjoy your time. And so speaker gets up to talk and partway through, there's this long pause. And I had been praying, Lord, bring people to pray because I don't, I can't carry this on my own. I don't know what this is. And so uh, he gets up to talk and partway through pauses and says, um, right now, I just want to have all the international leaders stand up where you are. And I want y'all, the rest of you, to gather around them and start praying. And I just, re- just remember weeping because God provided what I needed right then. And so um, this group of people just started encircling us and just praying over us and interceding. And then um, partway through, they looked at me and said, "What what's going on? How can we pray specifically? And I said, I've just been burdened all day. And I just feel like something big is going to happen in my family I don't know what it is, but my family needs prayer. And so they said, what are the names of your family members? And they wrote their, uh, our names in their Bibles. They started interceding again. And then I went home, flew, flew back home to Canada. And Paul, we were, uh, you know, what is that called in the night? You know, passing ships in the, ships night. In the night. And mm-hmm. um, Paul was heading to uh, Arizona to do some seminary stuff. And um, so he left. I was holding down the fort with the kids at that point. And then it was the next night or or two after I get a text from um, an associate pastor at our church there that just said, are you home? And I said, yeah. And I thought, oh, Pastor Rick needs something from, I need to help in some way. And he said, I'm at your front door. And so I came to the front door and here he's standing there with two uh, RCMP officers, and I invited them in, and I knew this was going to be big, whatever it was, obviously. And so I said, let me just get my kids settled in bed. So so did that, and because the boys were six at the time, the twins were six, and um, I invited them in, and Pastor Rick said, this isn't about Paul. Paul is okay. So I took a deep breath and then waited for the next bit. And um, Derek, one of the officers, said, Taylor was a victim of homicide and he's no longer with us. Hmm. So I had to process that information in my head. And my, my Paul's not there. I'm, I'm there alone with the, the twins. All the you know, other kids are either in the States or Kinsey was at youth group. And I just started pacing. And I think the... The thing that I was trying to do was I was trying to remember in my brain, I was trying to scan all the memories for when did I see Taylor last. He had 
not long before moved out. He was living at home and he moved out um, about a month and a half prior. And um, but I recall the memory and we we were all sitting in the kitchen and Taylor had come home a few days before to get his mail. And we were talking and I remember at the end we all got up to hug him. And that doesn't always happen because sometimes I'm working with kids on schoolwork or whatever's happening. And sometimes it's, hey, see you later. We'll see you next time. But in this moment, I was so thankful to remember that we all got up from what we were doing and we hugged him. So that was really precious to me. And so I'm processing that information and in shock and trying to figure out how I'm going to tell Paul. And so... um I called a friend, um, our, our friends in Canada, and just said, Mark and Kylie, can you come and watch the kids? Told them briefly what happened on the phone, and they said, we're on our way. And so they watched the kids so I could go to Pastor Rick's house and make the calls I needed to make from there so my kids didn't hear what was going on. And and uh, so went to his house and just said, Pastor Rick, I need you to pray with me before I call Paul. So we did. We prayed together, and then... I called Paul and said, babe, I have some very sad news. And he said, okay. And I said those same words, Taylor was a victim of homicide and he's no longer with us. And there was a long pause and I'm just trying to say, are you okay? Like it's so hard to not be together in that moment. And you want to make sure the other person is all right. And so I don't know if you want to take Well, it from I think, there. you know, again, the the hands of God are on these things. And when we come to these kind of points in our lives of uh, suffering and um, unexpected turns, it's really amazing how the, the time you've invested in the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life just begins to kind of flood into the situation and and how God provides different kind of uh, oasis points for you along the way. And it just so happened that a, a longtime friend of mine lived not far from where I was staying, and and I couldn't get a, a flight out that night. So uh, I called him, and we just sat and talked, you know, all night. And I caught a, a flight the next morning, and I had talked to the, the detectives, and um, we were very fortunate in, in the Vancouver metro area. It's a city about the size of the Twin Cities, there are several different municipalities, and they have a um, an agency called IHIT, which is an integrated homicide detective team, and so it's kind of the best of the best. And and then we met with them the next day, and we began to develop a relationship with them and began to kind of set the tone. Wendy prayed with them. Uh, we told them that we don't know what's going to happen, but we're rooting for you. We We trust in the justice of God, so whatever happens... We're with you. We know that God will work through this. And we began to develop a relationship with them that ended up lasting probably three years before this was all kind of wrapped up. Mm. Wow. I'm going to take a short break. When I come back, uh, more of this amazing story uh, with Paul and Wendy Johnson. And uh, do stay tuned. Uh, And if you missed any of this, you're going to want to start at the beginning because it is a, a, a powerful story. And I'm so appreciative they're willing to come in and share it with us today. Uh, we'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute.
Welcome back to the show. I have in studio Paul and Wendy Johnson. We're talking about a, a very, very difficult story, but I know God's uh, love and sovereignty is going to be all over this story. So uh, do stay tuned as we uh, kind of walk through some of the details of the loss of their son, Taylor, who was murdered. Um, so um, you're now getting the news and, and this whole reality of it is starting to uh, hit. But how does it hit? I mean, because obviously the, the words that you hear are just inconceivable. And you got to go into some sort of numbness or some mm-hmm. sort of uh, what's the... I, 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 I would say that's really good terminology because um, I think the way God wired us is that we you kick into kind of a different sort of mode mm-hmm. and you begin to kind of deal with details. You start calling people that need to know. Um, and in our case, we had a, we had two very kind detectives that kind of were able to lead us. We had a we had a local uh, a sheriff that I had developed a relationship with that came over with his um, his dog that they used for children, and uh, uh, you know they were always there uh, for those difficult times of having to to tell the twins and those kind of things. And I think God, you know, I could look back and I could see God preparing. It was before I met Wendy that I lost my um, first wife to cancer. And so I'd kind of gotten practiced in how to um, tell family members news that wasn't great. And I remember kind of digging into that well a little bit, thinking, how are we going to do this? And I remember God just saying, well, you know how to do this and just be honest and and be compassionate. And uh, our kids just um, reacted completely differently. It was amazing to watch. For for Mackenzie, I had to tell her when she got home from a youth group before Paul arrived home, and um, she was 13 at the time, and it was just great, great sorrow. Um, and so we just, she hung out with me that whole night. We just cried and prayed and put on stupid movies to try to make it through the night till Paul could get home. And I knew I needed to wait for him and tell, to tell the boys. And so when Paul got home, we gathered them together and went into the living room and we shared in a six-year-old way what had happened because at that point we didn't even know how Taylor was killed. It was all under investigation. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's part of God's protection too in the whole process. But uh, for Josh and Reagan, Joshua really just was filled with sorrow and just kind of isolated himself, needed to be quiet by himself and cry it out. And, and for Reagan, he just got up and was so angry he was angry at the world um, and just started throwing our kitchen chairs and wanted to break banisters. And he he was just trying to navigate it how he could. And we we were observing and watching going, okay, well, we need to let him grieve how he needs to grieve. But as time went on, we realized that that was his new pattern of dealing with disappointment and anger and sadness as he would go into these storms. And so we had to enter into uh, therapy, you know, grief therapy and play therapy with the kids and all that kind of stuff. And so that part's been quite a journey. It really has. And I've, we've realized how ill-equipped the world is to handle these kinds of events. Um, you would, 
visit a, a doctor and they'd say, oh, we can help your children. And then you tell them the story and they'd say, well, we could probably refer you to someone else. <laughs> um, we also mm-hmm. quickly realized how ill-equipped the church is at times to deal with this because no one really knows what to say or what to do. And people kind of by instinct, I think, want to fix you. So they've got their Bible verses they want to give you and their, you know, the old, you know, Christian, you know, well, hey, we'll pray for you. You know, you'll be okay and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But I think, you know, we made a decision really early in this process that whatever was going to happen, we were going to use it for the glory of God. And that I can only attribute to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And we also made a fundamental decision before we knew even what happened was that we were going to not hold bitterness toward whoever did this, and we were going to try to use it to draw them to Christ and and to forgive them. And it was really difficult. We met with the detectives for the first time, and, you know, um, Wendy looked at them and said, hey, before you guys go, can we pray pray for you? And, you know, they were quite detective-y. You mm-hmm. know, they had their, just like television, they, sure. you know, they were, they were trying to figure out if we did it first, I'm sure. And they reluctantly agreed, but as time went on, it became a pattern to pray for them. And, and um, But it was a hard eight months because we didn't know for eight months who did it, how it was done. We only knew where it had happened. And so we lived in fear. Um, we uh, locked our doors. We stayed inside. Um, there's a tremendous amount of gang activity up there. The Hells Angels are very very active. Um, the, the murder itself happened in a place where there was a marijuana grow operation. Uh, Taylor was house-sitting for someone. He didn't understand the dynamics that were going on around him, likely was set up to get hurt. Um, and um, so we lived, we lived in fear because we didn't know that much even. Mm-hmm. But what we did know is that um, at some point we were going to find out and at some point there were going to be people involved that we were going to have to deal with. And, and I think that when they finally called um, and said to us eight months later, we're going to start making arrests, I think that's for me when the reality and the, the journey ahead was really, really crystallized and when faith kind of had to be put into action. Um, you know, they... They said to us, uh, can we come over the next morning to tell you what we're going to do? And we said, of course. And they came and they brought some media people and they brought their uh, video guy and um, gave us the whole spiel. And they filled us in on there had been an eight-month undercover investigation. Um, they told us how it worked, how who they were, who they were chasing. And then kind of the, the linchpin of it was at the end – they looked at us and said, um, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Johnson, um, sometimes when these things happen, the the people we arrest don't cooperate. So would you be willing to uh, do a video to plead with them in case we need you to plead with them to cooperate with us? And, of course, we said yes, and we recorded this nice little video. And, and Okay, uh, now stop just yeah. for a second. Yeah. What's on this pleading video? It's, you know, it's... It's hey, a picture of us holding... I have a like my favorite picture of Taylor. Okay. And we're basically saying, please be honest with what happened. Okay. Please Tell help, the police help our know. families, please, and you know, in honor of our son. Okay. You please. Yeah. And, and then when they left, they said, and, and by the way, Mr. Johnson, this never happens, but if we need you to come down to the precinct, would you be willing to talk to them in person to help them to cooperate? 
And of course, we're, you know, we're saying yes to all of this mm-hmm. because we didn't know any better. Like we're, it doesn't really happen every day. Yeah. Um, but then I remember, I remember specifically one of them saying, but this never happens. But just want to make sure you're okay with that. Sure. So on Wednesday, they started to make arrests. And sure enough, about nine o'clock in the morning, we got a call. And they said, um, you know, we have the driver in custody and he's not cooperating. So would you please come down and talk to him? Um, And I felt like saying, but this never happens. Right. (laughs) Right. But, you know, you you just kind of you're in another gear. You know, you're kind of in this um, adrenaline kind of rush, this sort of uh, um, Holy Spirit driven thing. And. And I drove down there, and they walked me into an interview room, and it was um, a guy who was obviously a very gang, gang-looking guy, and he was mean-looking, and he, his name was Rocky. And uh, the detective said, hey, Rocky, this is Mr. Johnson. This is the boy's father. He wants to talk to you. So I just looked at him, and I said, would you please help? And he just stonewalled me and stonewalled me. And so I finally just looked at him and I said, listen, I said, you can have more than this in your life. You know, God can change your life. Would you be interested in God changing your life? And I thought, if he's not going to talk to me, at least I'll give him the gospel. Mm -hmm. And uh, he didn't talk to me. And the detective ushered me out of the room and apologized profusely. You know, I'm sorry you took the time to do this. And then I went home thinking we were done. And then sure enough, later that night at about 10 o'clock, they called again. And this time they said, we have the shooter in custody and he's not cooperating. So can you come back? And I remember Wendy and I just kind of looking at each other going, "Um, well, this is going to be really interesting. And Wendy started to pray. I drank a couple of Mountain Dews, you know, prayed a lot and then just headed back down there to meet meet the guy you talked about before, the guy that murdered our son. And when I got there, um, they said, we want you to wait a little while. So I I sat in this room, and it was a big hotel kind of room, ballroom kind of place. And there were 30, 35 computers in a circle. And he looked at me, and he said, this has been the operation center for your son's investigation. Wow. And I said, so each of those computers represent a person? They said, yeah, there were about 35 officers working on this, which um, was shocking news. Um, but finally they came down and they said, um, you know, he's, he's cooperating now, but I got to tell you, he wants to say sorry. Wow. So are you willing to go up there and talk to him? And at that moment, then the Holy Spirit really started to talk to me and really started to, that theology I knew to be the truth really Mm -hmm. came to the forefront as I made that decision. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, lots more with Paul and Wendy Johnson. And we're talking about a very difficult subject, as you know, but there's great glory ahead in terms of how God is uh, involved in this whole story. Be back in a minute. Welcome back to the show. We've got Paul and Wendy Johnson in the studio, and we are talking about their son, Taylor, that they um, was killed in a homicide. And now we're at the point in the story 
where uh, dad is going down to the precinct to possibly uh, get a confession or help the truth be told with the suspect they have as the possible shooter. That's right. This is twice you've been down there in 24 hours. It's my second time, so I felt right at home. The first time was not successful not at successful, all. Not successful, no. And, you know, they came down and said, um, are you willing to talk to him because he wants to apologize? And, again, the work of the Holy Spirit is amazing because all of the theology I knew to be the truth just began to um, flood into my mind. The idea that... Um, you know, this, this this person is no different than me. Um, we're broken. We have a sin problem. Um, if, I've, if I've thought of murdering someone, I'm no different. You know, Jesus made that very clear. Mm-hmm. What's in our heart is, is real. And so I felt like I had no other option but to go talk to him. And, and, I, and I felt like it was something that um, I didn't really even hesitate to do. And when we went up there, I was expecting to see another Rocky kind of guy, um, a gangland type. But when I walked in, what I really saw was a, was a 23 year old scared kid who was crying. They had just showed him a picture of Taylor for the first time. What had happened is he and some guys had gone over to this house that Taylor was house sitting, um, overnight and they went to rob the place um, Taylor had looked out of a window and they just started shooting and killed him. And this boy's name was Jesse. And he looked at me and he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I never meant to, I never meant to hurt your son. And we, we just began to talk and, um, he told me how he was feeling about his life and what this was going to do to his life and how his life was changed and then I just looked at him and I said, um, Jesse, when you're done being sentenced and when this whole process is finished, would you like to hear more about how you can have a new life? And I said, God can change your life. You don't have to live like this anymore. And he looked at me and he said, yeah. And then he got up from his chair and he, he walked toward me, and this is a moment I'll never forget. And I, I actually looked over at the detective going, like, are you going to do something about this? Because he's coming right at me, no handcuffs or anything. And he just reached out and gave me a huge bear hug. Mm. And we found out more about him as time kind of went on, that he was um, grew up in a single-parent home. Father wasn't really involved. I think that for him that was a moment of... Um, of, like you said earlier, redemption in a sense. And so we just hugged, and I thought to myself as we were doing that, like only God could orchestrate this. Mm. And so we we left that room, and um, I went home, and the next day we had to do a press conference. And I had been on the other side of press conferences before, you know. The, I, I had been the question asker before, but I'd never been the the one being questioned, and and But God just walked with us the whole step of the way. And when, when we arrived, there was a, a woman there who was the sergeant in charge of the media. And when he started talking to her and um, prayed with her, and that really struck a chord in her, I think, when you prayed with her. 
Well, I knew you and her were going to be the ones doing most of the talking because you had prepared a statement to read and didn't think that I, I was a supporter, you know, there and just wanted to pray over you both because media is not always friendly and it was pretty intense in there. And so um, I remember her breaking down crying before we had to go out and do this press conference. But I just felt like in all these different circumstances, the people that we were coming in contact with, if they had never experienced Jesus' name or being prayed for or any of that, I wanted them to experience the love of God in some form. And so just wanted to pray over them. And so during the press conference, at one point, questions are being fired at her and she's she's started to get really choked up. And one of the media guy or one of the one of the guys just said, What's going on? Like, do you do you know him or something? Do you know this family? Like why? And she just she just had so much empathy and compassion Mm -hmm. and really grew to care for our family in that short period of time and just said Taylor was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I'm I'm just feeling for this family. Yeah, it was a, it was an amazing moment, and because you know, they're all the beat, all the beat writers that cover the, and they're you know they're they all know each other and they're hardcore. And when Jennifer reacted that way, I think they're really caught off guard. But it was just another example of how everywhere we went, Jesus just came with us. Mm-hmm. And in the statement that we had written up, um, talked about how we were intent on forgiving um, Jesse. Jesse had asked for forgiveness. We had told him, we're going to work on forgiving you. And we made it very clear that the reason that we can forgive Jesse is because we are forgiven. We're Jesus followers. Mm-hmm. And I remember, the, I remember the puzzled looks that came over the, the media. You know, Vancouver is a very dark spiritual area. Um, you might have 4 or 5% churchgoers there. Wow. And so you, you're not talking about um, an evangelical press corps, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I remember them just kind of kind of coming back to that again over and over, like why and we just said because we're we're followers of Christ, this is what we do. And all along the Holy Spirit was just I think reminding us that again, you have been forgiven. How can you possibly even think about withholding forgiveness? I'm just remembering like a day or two after our family had found out and our oldest daughter Adina um was 27, 28 at the time. And uh, I just remember her saying on the phone to us, we need to, we need to be praying for the person that took Taylor's life. And we were like, absolutely. We want to do that. And she just said, why should two people's, you know, life just end in tragedy? We want to help this, this kid come to Christ. And we were, that was just our whole family's take on it. Like, and that's a work of God. Yeah. I know that's the only reason that you can even think that way. And we we finally had some clarity on on what had happened. And um, we were driving home from that press conference, and um, we had talk radio on. We couldn't get the Faith Radio Network there in Canada. Otherwise, <laughs> we were I'm sure listening. 
trying in our to hearts get my show. and minds. Okay, yes, yeah, well, I mean, I had the antenna out the window. <laughs> okay, I just, good. I couldn't get it on that particular yeah. day. If it was cloudy, it might have bounced off the clouds. I get it. I get it. Um, <laughs> I'm giving you a pass, Paul. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're listening to another substandard talk yeah. radio show, <laughs> and the topic of the day was. Would you forgive the murderer of your son? Are you serious? I'm serious. Oh and my. I remember pulling up to uh, a drive through window, listening to this, thinking to myself, this is weird, mm-hmm. but amazing mm-hmm. at the same time. They were having people call in yeah. and say was, what they thought. And it was God interesting. Was, all, all, he was already seeding this whole thing. And, you know, we had a church that we needed to shepherd through this. And we had... You know, um, they had been through all kinds of crazy uh, ups and downs through this whole adventure with us. And part of our goal for them was to help them understand that there is purpose in suffering, that there it's, it's okay to admit that you're suffering, that God actually appears in suffering. And I have this vision in my own mind of Jesus emerging in suffering, and that's where you really find out who Christ is. And I think that's proven to be true. Um but every time that we talked to someone about this, Jesus would somehow pave the way for us to be able to share, even up to the the court experience, the the sentencing, and all that kind of thing. And I think what some people don't realize when when families go through this type of thing, you know, you hear about it on the news for a while. It may be a controversial shooting that some of those have happened here in Minneapolis and St. Paul that you kind of hear about it and then it's done. But it's really a long process for families, even just the legal part of it. You know, from from start to finish for us, it was probably three years of from the time we were told to the time that there was sentencing. And that's a long time to be processing and a long time to be kind of in the in the public eye. And when it came time for sentencing, we went and met with our a prosecutor and and God gave us this veteran prosecutor who was kind of like a mean Matlock. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, uh, describe him, you know, it's kind of, he kind of was, he's old, crusty. With round glasses. Yeah, he I was, remember. you know, he was the kind of guy that you're glad that he was on your side, Yeah, you mm-hmm. know. But um, we had an opportunity to just begin to minister to him as well. And by the time we really got serious about sentencing, Jesse had already pleaded guilty, which was a huge blessing um, because that took a long trial off the table. But there's also a good deal of frustration because he, they pleaded him down to manslaughter. And so he only ended up getting nine years, including the two that he'd already served. So we had to again, go back to what we said earlier, that God's a God of justice. And um, while we don't want Jesse to rot, Jesse to rot in jail, we also want justice to be done, you know. But I remember getting to the courthouse the day of sentencing, and um, Jesse's parents were there. His mom was there. His dad, his estranged dad was there. Sister was there. Um, We had talked some with them already. They had reached out to us. They were just horrified by what happened. They They were so sorry. I remember there being hugs outside in the in the hallway. I remember there being a real reconciliation. And then we read our victim in, impact statements, and then this prayer warrior over here, Wendy, um, God started using her again to set the table for that. Well, so we're 
We're in the courtroom, and Paul has met Jesse already at this point, but I hadn't. So um, before the sentencing hearing, I just asked our prosecutor if I could at least see a, a picture of him to prepare my heart. Mm-hmm. And so he showed me, and then we're in the courtroom, and Jesse's behind the glass, and um, we are done with our victim impact statements, um, which was challenging. We're reading them for ourselves and for our children, and life changed drastically for you know from for all of us in that time frame but i i had to leave my job to help start homeschooling my kids cuz our kids couldn't function in school the twins couldn't and so so many things had changed in that period of time but Jesse got up um at one point and he read a letter to us to our family to say he was sorry and um after that we went out into the lobby. They, we were asked to all leave the, the courtroom so that the judge could um, have time to make his decision on how long sentencing would be. And I got out into the lobby and this emotion just flooded over me. And I, again, was like, what is happening? Like, I'm in business mode right now. Like, I want to stay in business mode, but I just couldn't. And what happened is when Jesse was reading the letter, um, it was taking me back to this place. Um, Paul and I are where we have a blended family. And so when, um, when we were dating, I w- was living in Seattle with my daughter Mackenzie and Paul was in Arizona and they made a video, him and his three kids made a video for us. And Taylor was behind the camera, sh- you know, shooting the video. And then at one point, Jeremy, our son says, Taylor, let me take the camera so you can be in the shot. So he he did that. And then Taylor came into to interview. Taylor was 11 or 12 at the time. And I just remember seeing in Taylor's eyes, I need love. I need help. Will you help me? And so that's what exactly was happening in the courtroom when I saw Jesse's eyes. I was seeing, I need help. Will you help me? Mm. And I... The, the emotion that overcame me was crazy. And I went up to our prosecuting attorney and just said, I know this may sound crazy, but can I respond to Jesse's letter and can I hug him? And he goes, he raises hands up and he's like, who are you people? And he's like, oh, I'll, I'll let me go talk to the judge. I was like, okay. And he comes back and he says, okay, after the judge reads the sentencing, He'll invite you up to the podium and you can respond to his his uh, letter, but you can't hug him. And I said, okay. And so, so we went through that process. And during that, it was interesting because we gained a new bit of information even during the sentencing when he said that when after Taylor had been shot, the, the, um, the, the people that were robbing the house walked past him and, and he was still alive at that point, but they walked past him. And so that brought on a whole nother realm of like emotions and like, you know, all of that. But I knew God was just saying, you need to, you need to speak to, to Jesse. And so I've started off with thanking his family because they had an opportunity to read their victim and back statements and they didn't, they chose not to in honor of our family. And I was really thankful for that because I think that would have been really hard to take. We would have done it, but it would have been really hard to hear their woes and pleas, mm-hmm. you know. 
and and so thanking them first and then thanking Jesse for taking time to write the letter because it meant so much to hear a repentant heart. And we so desperately want Jesse to know about Jesus. And so it was kind of sharing some of what Paul had shared in the room with him. Jesse, you can have a different life than this. Mm. You don't have to choose this life of gangs that you're going in. There's another path that leads to life and light. And so just trying to encourage him in that way. All right, we need to take a little short break. I'm talking to Paul and Wendy Johnson, also known as Who Are You People? (laughs) We'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. for being with me today. If you've been listening to this hour, you are riveted, aren't you? I get that. And if you missed any of it, please uh, go to the beginning and start and hear the story of Paul and Wendy Johnson talking about their son, Taylor, who was murdered. Um, Right now, we're just because we're running out of time and I cannot believe this has gone so quickly. Um, Let's let's jump ahead to uh, sentencing. Um, Jesse, the person who killed Taylor, is now facing his sentencing. Yeah, so he he gets um, seven years essentially, um, and he's put in prison. And we, at this point, God had already been working in our hearts about a move, and we we knew that because of what the church had gone through, we were going to to need to get a fresh start and so forth. But we made it a point to go see Jesse before we left, and we spent about six or seven hours with him. Um, and man, we just gave him the gospel every which way mm-hmm. um, we could, and. Um, you know, I, I, and to this day, we were able, we're able to write him. We're able to keep in touch. We, we talked to him about our family. We, we talked to him about Jesus. I, I don't know how many times I've, kind of used new words for the gospel message. Just want him to accept Jesus. And we have an opportunity now to speak to, to victims and those who have been hurt. We had a chance to speak down at the Faribault Correctional Facility. Uh, last week, and it was an amazing time of talking to people that have been kind of Jesse's. Yeah. So after we, after we shared our uh, our story with them, um, they had an opportunity um, at the end. I just asked if I could pray over them, and they nodded their heads, and so had that opportunity. And then they said, "If there's any of you that want to make comments or have questions, come on up, and you can ask Paul and Wendy." And so. They came up and um, one person said, do you have, do you ever have anger? Do you ever, how do you deal with your anger? So we talked that through with them. Of course we do. And we deal with it in different ways. It might be chopping wood or going on a treadmill or whatever. Um, For our kids, it looks different. But um, another, you know, guys kept coming up and, and talking to us and they had in the front few rows, there was probably 200 guys in there. And in the front two rows, they had, um, guys that had taken a life. And so a guy comes up and he's looking right at Paul and I'm sitting at a table and he says, my name is John. I am Jesse. And I just started weeping again. It's like God was just doing something in my heart at that moment. It was this profound moment. And he's asking questions like he's wanting to have that restoration and that opportunity to, to write a letter and so he's asking questions and I'm, I'm broke down in the, all the guys in the front rows are like looking at me, then looking at him and looking at me and looking at him. And it's just something that God was doing. And 
then after um, the guys would come in a line and some of them would shake our hands and just say thank you for sharing your story. Um, thank you for telling us about the what the kids have walked through because we don't often hear about that part. And then um, this guy came up again and he said, my name is John. I am Jesse. Can I hug you? <laughs> and again, I hugged him and I wept. And I think in that moment it was so profound because I think he was wanting to ease my pain um, because I hadn't had that hug in the sentencing room. Um, and at the same time, I think he was also really needing the hug of forgiveness because he may not get that from the people that he's, you know, offended. And, and, and so it was just this profound, extraordinary time. And yeah, and I think that, you know, to kind of boil this all down, um, what we've learned through this is a couple of things. First of all, that don't run from suffering, sit in it, allow God to work in it. Jesus will emerge from it. You'll, you'll know him in a completely different way than you ever have. Mm. Secondly, reconciliation is always possible unless there's some circumstance that makes it impossible, like death or a court order or something. So don't give up on reconciliation. Mm-hmm. And the third thing I would say is don't hold unforgiveness over someone's head. It's not worth it. It's, it's, it takes too much time. It's too exhausting. It's, it's, it creates bitterness. It's not God-honoring. Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to reconcile us to others. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if I could pray for maybe some people right now that are, are struggling with forgiveness and reconciliation. That would be wonderful. I know there's a lot of listeners that um, would be welcoming this. So that'd be terrific. Our, our Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is his suffering and his blood that was spilt that makes any kind of reconciliation possible. It makes forgiveness possible. The fact that we've been forgiven allows us to forgive others. God, I pray if there are those right now who are saying to themselves, I don't think that I can ever be right with a person that I want to be right with, will you please give them hope? If there is someone right now that's saying, I can never forgive someone, will you please show them a new way? Uh, Show them scripture that explicitly tells us that we don't have a choice in that, that we are to forgive. And if there are those, Father, that are lost in grief, that miss that person so much and doesn't think anyone else understands, Mm Help them to know that there are some who do understand, and more importantly, that you understand because you have seen it happen. Your own son was murdered. Thank you for your grace. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the hope of Jesus. And I pray this in his name. Amen. Well, with just a couple minutes left, tell tell me about Taylor. Taylor was a gentle, sweet kid. And a little bit naive, which got him into this trouble. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that's enabled us to move forward this way is that he would have he would have said, um, "Hey, why aren't you giving this guy a break?" Because mm. he would always say, "I say Taylor, you know those friends you have," and he'd say, <laughs> "Dad, people change." 
<laughs> Give him a break. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure that's exactly what he'd Very be saying. Very forgiving. And just, he was so intuitive. Uh-huh. Like there were times when he totally ministered to me. I remember one time just being so down and walking in the house and he's like, what do you need right now? Mm. And he'd start to list things. Do you need to take a walk? Do you need, do you need a Coke Zero? Do you need, you know, he just knew what, what helped feed our soul. And he would, he would suggest it because he just was this quiet helper, you know, just beautiful. And he's with, and he's with Christ. Kid. He's with Christ. Which is yeah. an amazing, amazing thing yeah. in this kind of situation to know that Jesus, I mean, I, I, I struggled with the longest time with him being, it's going to sound illogical to say this, but for a long time he was in the morgue by himself. Mm. Struggled with that. Mm-hmm. I want to be with my son. I wasn't there to protect him. And as time's gone on, I've realized that the Bible's clear that Christ is with us in death and in life, and He ne- really never died. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. Wow, what a powerful uh, story of God's uh, forgive- forgiveness and the way in which you have let the Holy Spirit lead and guide you through this process, which is far from over. It's mm-hmm. the rest of your life. True. So thank you so much for coming on, telling the story of Taylor. Paul and Wendy Johnson have been my guests. If you've missed any of this, trust me, you do want to go back and listen from the beginning. Go to MyFaithRadio.com and Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and you can hear the whole time together with Paul and Wendy Johnson. That wraps up our time. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. We'll take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.